I think if we're really honest, that each one of us has something or some things that can hold us back. And maybe part of our ego that's rearing its head in various ways that's holding us back to who we are truly, truly created to be. And again, community, I need people in my life, Marcel, that can see my blind spots. I can't always see what I can't see. I'm blind to them. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, the business show where we explore the big idea that practical love and care outperform the competition. Hey, it's a fact. So glad you dropped in and hey, we hope that you can actually hang out with us throughout the entire episode. And you know what? You should because, well, I have a repeat guest, someone who has been with us before. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't normally bring back guests for a second time. It's just a fact of the show here, unless they captivate me. And of course, you, my listeners, usually those repeat guests have something so compelling to share with you. I just got to bring them back. Or in the case of Ken Blanchard, who's written a gazillion books and is one of the world's foremost authorities on management and leadership. How can I not bring back Ken Blanchard. I mean, he's freaking Ken Blanchard. So let me give a shout out to the only people who have guessed more than once on the show. It's a pretty short list. Ken Blanchard, of course, he was not on too long ago. I mean, if you want to check that out, it's episode 122. Mike Ficanti, founder of Humans First Club and author of Believership, who also happens to be a, a good friend of mine, Chester Elton who came back a second time with his business partner and co-author Adrian Gostick. (laughs) That was a total blast. Those guys are hilarious. And then Tomas Chamorro per music, author of the very provocative, Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders and How to Fix It? That, by the way, happens to be one of my all-time favorite books. You should check that out. As well as the conversation that Tomas and I had way, way, way back on episode 12. Now, I get to add one more person to the list. (laughs) And that's today's guest. Drum roll, please. Rob Holman is back. My my friend, my brother from another mother. I mean, I am geeked up about this because that means Rob has another book out to share with the world. And you know, I always love his perspectives, his stories, you get his book, you're going to love his writing style. It's, it's, he's as real as they come, and his message so aligns with the Love in Action podcast. So his new book is called Move the Needle. And in this book, Rob takes a deep dive into why we must prioritize people over procedures to get better results. Rob Holman is the CEO of global leadership consultancy, Holman International, and the best-selling author of two other leadership books, Lead the Way and All In. He's been featured in publications like Inc., Forbes, and Fast Company. Rob's pretty dynamic, so get ready and hold on to your seats. I mean, he is, like I said, 
as real as they come. And he is a thought-provoking global keynote speaker on top of that. And now Rob joins us. Welcome back. Hey, come on. I'm like, who is he talking about? Who's this Marcel <laughs> talking about? This short list, completely blown out of the water and beyond honored to be back yet a second time with those on that short list. So Marcel, trust me, in this interview, I'm going to learn a whole lot more from you than hopefully you learned from me. So joy to be with you. Yeah, well, it works both ways, Rob. So that's the point of the show that I wanted my head to be able to fit in this room eventually. But I appreciate that nod, by the way. Thank you for that. <laughs> Every time you write a book, I mean, we're going to be in our 70s. You'll have like 25 books written by then or 30. I'm still going to have you on the podcast. We'll just look a little different and sound hopefully, a little different. Hopefully, I have a level of clarity at that age that I do at 46 right now. But that's a topic <laughs> of another conversation, Marcel. <laughs> All right. So before we get into the book, and by the way, I told you to stop flying. Talking to you, the conversation can go in so many different directions, and we're going to leave that to the powers of being. But let's first get into Rob the person before we get into the book and your work, et cetera. I want you to just tell us a story about Rob Holbin. I mean, what would that be? You may not know this, Marcel, and your, and your audience. However, you know, I'm 46. So I feel like in some regards, I'm just beginning to live life. In other regards, I feel like I'm older than old. I Honestly, I'm kind of in this in-between stage. But a story that I, I really believe will let you in a bit more to who I am. I grew up in a home that I'm a middle child. I have an older brother who's a couple years older, younger sister, two years younger. So I'm a middle child, Marcel. I'm a peacemaker. I wear my heart on my sleeve. But growing up, although those things had their advantages, my parents and their relationship, they were trying to make it work and would start out to be a very vibrant and healthy relationship and healthy family dynamics. Like every family, far from perfect, we had our level and depth of dysfunction. My parents tried to make it work. They got counseling growing up. We had a family therapist. And then after the summer of my junior year of high school, so following my 11th grade year, my mom takes me to this local lake and she says these words to me, your dad and I are going to get a divorce. Marcel, you would think with all the struggles, turmoil, dysfunction in our home leading up to that point, I would have probably responded the way that my brother and my sister responded, being like, about time, but I didn't. We were sitting on the bench and there's, I still remember like the breeze, like there was a breeze that was crossing over me as she's sharing that. And tears started to flood the deepest place of who I was. And I started to actually sob and tears and heartache that from years past up to that present moment were now being unveiled. They were coming out. And that started a process for me, a process of learning about who my mom really was, who my dad was, who I am. And that process led me years of a process of forgiveness and healing, but it's one of those life milestones that truly has helped shape me to become the person that I am today. And I'm sure like people are listening to that, but we all have a story. We all have like these things that have happened to us. Some are highly challenging and very difficult and others are, are a tremendous blessing in the moment and even coming out of that moment. But I think we'd all agree, like when we have these things, these life milestones, and we're committed to a process of healing, of forgiveness, and of purpose and significance, that God just has an interesting way about him that he will use those things, regardless of what they look like and how much they hurt us in that moment, to help serve other people that are going through similar things. <laughs> so it didn't take long, Marcel, for all of a sudden people to show up in my life that also struggled 
within the relationship with their dad or their mom or their parents had a volatile relationship or whatever. And in that time, and not just in one time, I'm talking throughout the course of my life since that time, that I've been able to serve people in and out of that place to let them know you're not alone. I kind of know what you're going through. And I've come out, so to speak, on top, like with greater health and a perspective on life and myself and circumstances. So I'm quick to serve people going through similar set of circumstances. I have nothing else to add. I mean, seriously, this wasn't part of the conversation, but I'm going to take us there now is that you brought up so many of us have lived through trauma, some kind of trauma, right? Abuse, neglect, or even, you know, going through a divorce or our business doesn't work and maybe we have to file bankruptcy and lose our home in the process and all that. So there is trauma in our lives, but yet not enough of us have the mindset or the awareness to be able to work on healing the pain and the hurts that came from those traumatic events. So we carry it on. The trauma manifests itself in things like fear, shame, guilt, grief that we haven't dealt with. And we carry that through our lives and it impacts how we lead people, impacts our relationships with others. And I say that you did the work and you came out of it and that was actually a defining moment for you. It was. And I, I love the, the aspect you're highlighting this. I did the work, but it was not without the help of so many other people. This is what I want to bring out, Marcel, the need for community. We were never meant to do it alone. So there could be a leader listening that's really going through it right now, or they're being held back by something or someone in their past. It is not just okay to ask for help. It's a necessity. Like even the stigma sometimes attached to mental health, emotional health right now. There's still a stigma attached to it. Well, that's for certain kind of people, or that's for people that look like this or sound like this or been through that. No, we always want to be the healthiest versions of ourselves. And if we're committed to being the healthiest version of ourselves, it's going to require the help of other people to raise our arms up when we're tired. Like I'm a firm believer, like the battle's won below when our arms are raised in victory, so to speak. Sometimes when the hands go up and we think we can do it in our own strength, only to find out life does happen, leadership does happen, and the hands that are raised initially grow tired, become weak, and so all of a sudden it feels like the battle around us is being lost. But yet, what I found the most powerful thing to do is when you ask for help, whether it's through trained professionals, family members, close friends, people that you can trust, even if it's one person at a time, it's like people slowly but surely start coming alongside of you and raising up your arm on one side, the other starts raising up the arm on the other side. When you can't do it, they can on your behalf. And listen, your arms are still raised, maybe not in the way that you thought, but with help alongside. So the battle below can still be won. Mm. And I feel like out of that place of genuine community asking for help, that the greatest dreams, the greatest accomplishment, the greatest goals that people set out to accomplish are in and out of that place. But yet, we have to get past the aspect that like asking for help is weak or, oh no, I'm going to be viewed as one of those people. Yeah. No, it's a tremendous strength at the end of the day. Yeah. Because asking for help, it's an act of vulnerability and some people can't make the transition there. I asked Ken Blanchard about this, about why is it that so many people aren't willing to be that kind of leader that leads through vulnerability and really opens up their heart to people. And he and he does this in just about every book, and he brings it back to ego. He has a kind of a Christian spin on ego, edging God out. 
but you know, whatever your faith affiliation is, it's ego if, is basically it's not your true self is. So you're leading through arrogance instead of authenticity, right? And I think that that's the veil that is in front of other issues that you haven't dealt with. Because I remember, Rob, I was a pretty arrogant guy back in the day. And then when I started to investigate, why is it that I lead this way? What's really behind it is the core of it. It was, it was rooted in shame. I was afraid of being this authentic person because I was afraid of how people would react to it. And so I put up this facade of this guy that had it all together. You know, I was very image conscious on top of that. So, I, you know, I had to wear all the best suits and have the perfect hair. We better watch this conversation. We might start getting into hair products real soon. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone wants to sponsor the episode, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but seriously, though, so thanks for bringing that up. Everything goes back to the core of who we are and, and who God meant us to be, whatever your higher power is. But we need to remove those things out of the way, those blocks out of the way, whether it's your ego, your pride, or, you know, something that you are ashamed of that you haven't dealt with, that you haven't healed from. And we all have them. Sometimes we like to think, well, I'm not going to be like that, or that used to be me. I think if we're really honest, that each one of us has something or some things that can hold us back. And maybe part of our ego that's rearing its head in various ways that's holding us back to who we are truly, truly created to be. And again, community, I need people in my life, Marcel, that can see my blind spots. I can't always see what I can't see. I'm blind to them. But if I have at least one person in my corner that I trust, there's a level and depth of trust there, that is willing, not in a negative fashion, just trying to point certain bad things out about me to get me or to manipulate situations, but in a really healthy way. See, Rob, have you ever considered this? Or have you ever thought about this? You might need some help in this area. And here's the reason why. All of a sudden then for me, you're right. Because I'm just committed for the rest of my life, whether it be two years or the next 50 years or 50 years plus, I want to maximize who God truly created me to be and serve others faithfully and be the best steward of those and those things that have been placed in my life. So in other words, as I'm committed to a process with the help of others, I can kind of begin to get out of my own way. And because I really find when you're committed to a process like that, it can almost seem like at face value, like you're going to be focused on your stuff. You're going to be focused on you. And so watch out because you can become obsessed about you. But I'm here to say, I think when you're committed to a process like that, that you learn in and through that process, through healing, through forgiveness, about something called humility that we've been given our lives as a gift, that we did nothing to deserve our life. We've been given our gifts, our skill sets, our personality, our life experience as a gift to be used to benefit other people. So in other words, we start to get out of our own way and we start to channel our significance, our uniqueness to serve other people. Because that's what it's about at the end of the day. And you're such a huge advocate in servant leadership. I mean, you're such a pioneer in that way, Marcel. And so I'm definitely preaching your language, but I just don't want to highlight that for sure. Okay. Well, I'm going to highlight you and your book now. That was such a wonderful way to start the show. So yeah, let's transition to your book. I'm sure it's lots of things that we just talked about are probably going to be in your book. So going into the book, I noticed the first thing that, like all your books, it's really easy to read, easy to follow. You have simple language. And I love stories. There's no shortage of stories. So 
I want you to talk about this roadmap that you put together for this book about how leaders can obviously follow your roadmap, this framework that you put together. It's going to make you more effective. I'm not going to give away the punchline because I want you to do it. So you've broken down your book into three principles. Share that. Unpack that for us. So three Ps. I try to make it easy for people. I need things very easy. So I try to make it easy for people. And quite frankly, Marcel, between me, you, and your entire worldly audience here, I write how I like to read. And when you're an author, you have that luxury at least a little bit. And so I love stories. I love pictures and images that can paint a thousand words in a fun way. And I like to keep things relatively short because there's only so many hours in the day. In the day. And I like to be really reflective. Mm-hmm. And take people from their mind down to their heart, because I really believe that's where true change takes place. But the three Ps, the first is purpose, the second is people, and the third is process. And this framework is not necessarily, although it might be when people read this, like, oh, I got to start at point A, purpose. Then when I get that figured out, I get to turn to people. And then guess what? I get to work on processes. Now, think of more of this framework and purpose, people, and processes like a wheel with many spokes. So many times, at least in the Western part of the world, we're very influenced by a Greek way of thinking. Not bad, has its place for sure. But in the Greek way of thinking, oftentimes, we like categories and boxes and things very black and white in our ways of thinking. And so for me, I like to kind of like view my philosophy and inside out leadership and the framework of this book with the three Ps more like a holistic wheel that has a core with many spokes. So in other words, you could start a process keeping in mind purpose. You could start a purpose keeping in mind people. But what I want to emphasize in all this is our core, core being purpose. Now, I'm going to use a physical example real quick. I'm sure you're in good shape. At least you're very vibrant. Every time I talk to you, you're like, oh my goodness, you get me thinking. I'm like, here's a guy who is holistically in shape, no doubt about it. So we know this physically that when you do physical workouts, or if you don't do physical workouts, your core is everything. If your abs and your midsection remain strong, the rest of your body will follow with strength and flexibility and balance and mobility. Really at the core of who we are, talking about purpose, the reason why we exist on the planet, personally and professionally, we got to make sure the core is strong. And when we discover or rediscover our personal existence, Now it's an opportunity to remain strong. Again, it gets back to some of the things we've already talked about, that now we know who we are. We know why we're here. And so we start to flex those muscles, not in an egotistical kind of ego kind of a way, but in and out of a place of humility, because we know we've been given our lives to serve other people. That takes me on to the second P, which is people. Now we want to make sure, how do I most effectively serve my team members that surround me. And there's so many different ways to serve, but are we committed not just to serve them professionally, but more importantly, or what supersedes the professional certainly is the personal. Are we spending devoted time on a consistent and intentional basis with our team members, getting to know what makes them come alive personally, getting to know their hobbies, their interests, their life milestone, and committed to a process of doing so. Now here's what begins to happen. That person doesn't just feel like they're a commodity and they're going to reach goals for you and you're keeping on a professional level. They're going to feel valued and appreciated as a mere human being and it's going to compel them to action. And then third is the process. The process, it's all about not even as much about the bells and whistles and putting certain things in place that 
that causes you to be more efficient. I touch on that. But really, the chapter I want to hone in on is efficiency through effectiveness. You can have all the activity in the world, but it doesn't always equate to the best activity. And so I do a deeper dive, and that is making sure in and through purpose and serving of people faithfully in their personal lives, are we truly being effective as we get together with them and then putting processes around that will best facilitate that growth? Were you informed by any kind of research to have this such clear framework, really, for how I see this as not only a way to lead individuals, the the one-on-one impact, but also groups, and then bring it out to the systemic 30,000-foot level way of leading if you're a CEO, that you can apply those same three principles. But where did you get this from? Well, that's the million-dollar question. I wish I knew, Marcel. I'm supposed to have all these answers here today for you. No, I'll say this. Ever since I was little, I don't know whether this is what God had for me or whatever, but I've experienced certain things I've had the joy and the honor, and some people think I'm really at age 46, but I've had the joy and the honor to start or found or co-found nine different organizations, three nonprofits, six for-profit. And in the midst of that process, I love people. I'm a student of people. So really what I'm highlighting here is experience. I've experienced certain things that tells me certain things about human behavior. I'm not a psychologist. I don't study the brain for a living but I've learned some things about this wonderful organ called the brain. If you have an appreciation for the brain, appreciation for the emotional intelligence of people, you know, self-awareness and having some social awareness as well, in time, you begin to experience things. And I love connecting dots and just awareness and saying, oh, this makes sense. This makes sense. So in and through experience, a lot of what I've shared with you, my experience of starting and helping start so many different companies, that certainly has added to my experience. But what really tipped the scales for me was traveling over to the Middle East a number of times since 2007. I've trained people up in my inside-out leadership philosophy, but let me be real with you. Even though I went to serve public and private schools and business and everything, I learned so much more from my Middle Eastern brothers and sisters than I ever had putting out. Give me an example of that it's like something called hospitality. Where I've devoted a lot of my time in recent years is Afghanistan. I mean, the average Afghan, they are some of the most hospitable people on the planet. They will invite you into their home and guard you with their life. A total stranger. In the Western part of the world, namely United States, where we're from, Marcel, everything, the legal system is built with like guilt and innocence. So we view a lot through life, our decisions that we make through guilt and innocence. In the Middle East and in the Eastern part of the world, a lot of it is shame and honor. I've learned a lot about hospitality. I've learned a lot about honor and how you can honor a stranger, how you honor your family, how you honor business colleagues and friends. So with what I experienced leading up to 2007 and then multiple trips to the Middle East since 2007, I've experienced a lot about don't be so rigid and black and white, be fluid, a wheel with many spokes that even though things might appear to be disjointed at first, there's probably a larger reason, something larger, a big story that's being painted that you would never even ask or think or imagine. And if we're mindful and thoughtful of connecting some of those dots, there's a stream of consciousness that comes out of that place. And a lot of my writings in recent years have really come out of that deep well based on experience. And then all of a sudden, you know this, once you have experience and encountering certain people and certain things, all of a sudden, like research and data and people start coming to your path and you start finding these things to back you up. And it's like, 
wow, I think I might be onto something. God, that's so fascinating because your answer to the book was fully experiential. And now the science is pointing to all of the elements of your book. Because a lot of people, they write books based on framework, but they start with science. And here's what science is saying. Step one, two, three that you need to do. And here's my book. Your fully authentic, experiential, this is what I saw. And it's all heart. This is what I experienced. And let me write a book about it. And then the bonus is that science has already explained that those things lead to to high performance, great results as a leader. That's right. And again, I love the brain. I study the brain. I love it. But there is something said about being educated in your heart and then all of a sudden attaching your mind to what you're experiencing in your heart. And so for me, I've learned the discipline of like, okay, even through me, we could go down a big rabbit trail with this. So hold the reins, Marcel, hold the reins on this. But I think an interesting conversation for leaders to have in the midst of this is what does it mean to go with your gut? Going with your gut, you know, we all do it. There's things that we pick up in and through leadership conversations, conversations with our team members all the time. There's feelings, there's emotion, there's energy in the room that we pick up. And then we have to make decisions based on fact, emotions, et cetera, like a lot of different things. At the end of the day, far more leaders act on their gut than they do in making logical decisions. I want leaders to be even more responsive and I want them to make even more effective decisions out of their gut. Now, we need to be informed Right. with the practicals and the facts and truth, no doubt about it. That's a huge part of it. But at the end of the day, the facts could all be pointing one certain direction, but yet your gut and also a couple people maybe in your corner being like, but I think in this case, we got to, it's saying go right, we got to go left. And how do we know we're making the right choice? Now, that's an interesting conversation to have, at least at some particular, what am I already setting myself up for my third episode <laughs> of, of <laughs> the Love Action? I don't know what's happening. I got to bring this up because this is so in line with, let me give you a sports analogy, right? You're a sports dude. I'm a sports dude. By the way, you have a whole other story that you should have shared maybe on another episode about your athletic background, your sports background. Because, you know, people would wrongly assume that here we are a couple of touchy feely, soft and fuzzy guys that are kind of feminine. No, we're, (laughs) I am as masculine as they get. And so are you with you with your sports background. But to my point is that in baseball a few years ago, it was a World Series game. I forget who was on it, but the pitcher was wheeling and dealing, man. Okay. I mean, I think he was mowing down. I think it was, it might have been the Astros against the Dodgers. So that would have been uh, three years ago or so. And because of analytics, the manager went with data, right, to inform his decision. And he took out the pitcher, you know, because the pitcher was at a certain pitch count. What happens next? He takes out the pitcher, puts in a relief pitcher. What happens next, Rob? See, you can see that the domino effect, and I can almost hear the fans loud and clear right now of what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it was the Dodgers, I can't remember, but that the other team just started hitting it out of the park, and it's like single, double, triple, and error. I mean, it was like they just kept going around and around, and they won that game. And then, of course, the media jumps all over it and starts to question that manager's decision to remove the the pitcher, right? How can you? Yeah. Right. So he went with his head instead of his heart. Now that's a sports analogy, but translate that to everyday business decisions, right? We have analytics, we have data, we we have metrics to inform us. And we do. But here's the fascinating thing. I you know just research to back this up. 
the cool thing with, with going with your gut. Now, I'm going to be speaking to a team as a whole right now and the members that make up a team is if you stay in your lane. Now, here's the key thing for team members to stay in their lane. In other words, their area of expertise. So many times team members try to cross over, try to be someone who they were never meant to be, never paid to be, given their two cents. I think we should do this. But here's the thing. The accuracy of going with your gut goes up dramatically, drastically when team members stay in their lane. Why? Because what they're experiencing on that narrow road, they're picking up things on that narrow road in the way that others that are not on that lane or in that lane are picking up. They're more mindful. They're more thoughtful. Now their gut, their innermost being is picking up on certain things that others are just not going to pick up on. So their accuracy and decision-making goes up exponentially. Now, cool thing about the senior leader is sit back a little bit and hearing the voices, hearing the hearts, hearing the minds of those in their lanes on their team. And then now they just seek the counsel of many and they try to pick up, for lack of a better term, the vibe, the energy that's kind of happening in and through that conversation. And then really going with what they believe based on facts and truth and everyone's intuitive accuracy and et cetera. And then they make a decision accordingly. It's fascinating stuff. And the second part of your book is about the people principles. And in that book, you talked about servant leadership. And you mentioned it already that, you know, it's my life's work. And you said something really interesting about it. You said that servant leadership comes at a cost. So I want to uncover the people principles and servant leadership and uh, go over some of that stuff. And we're going to do that after a short break. Don't go anywhere. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. If you haven't heard, my leadership development course is now in full swing and it's getting great reviews. It's called From Boss to Leader. And if you like the theme of the podcast, you're going to love this course. It's intended for leaders and managers that want to learn real leadership competencies. You know, the everyday stuff that you need to engage and inspire your team or company. To learn more about the From Boss to Leader course, you can visit my website, marcelschwantes.com, and click on Virtual Training. Okay, Rob, let's get into what you think are the real key people principles that leaders must know and practice. I'll follow up with the servant leadership question after that. So the book doesn't explicitly say this, but I hint around this, but I'm going to be very explicit in my language with you. And you know this, Marcel, and your audience knows this, that there's a term tossed around a lot nowadays, which is the great resignation. We talk about it. We're learning about it. And I love what people put up, you know, and use a different phrase or a different term saying, well, I believe it's the great reevaluation, the great awakening, all these different things. I believe it is a great opportunity, but I believe, and this speeds right into servant leadership, that we've got to change the rule book of leadership. And here's what I mean by that. Many leaders historically up to the present day have been led by what isn't inherently bad leadership principle. It's the golden rule, all right? You and I live by the golden rule. It sounds great. It is great. It reaps benefits in people's lives. And the golden rule is do to others what you'd want them to yourself. You treat others how you like to be treated, right? Sounds good. Here's the issue. In today's day and age, people don't want to be treated the way you want them to be treated. People want to be treated the way they want to be treated. In steps the platinum rule. The golden rule was good. (laughs) 
it got us up to this point. But in my estimation, what's going to take us into a whole new era of leadership and life and humanity is operating and functioning in and out of the platinum rule. What would it look like for you to be committed and consistent, knowing each team member on a one-to-one basis to such a degree that you know them experientially? You know what makes them come alive. You know that makes what makes them tick. You know the challenges that they face, the blessings that they have. And I'm not just talking about their professional world and what has an immediate effect on your bottom line. I'm talking about human-to-human perspective. And all of a sudden, when a team member served in that platinum rule kind of a way, they can't help but feel loved on, appreciated, and valued. Marcel, they're not going to do things productivity-wise out of a place now uh, because they ought, they should, because this is going to be a part of the bottom line. They're doing this because they feel so valued and they're compelled to act. Big difference there. Doing something because we should or we ought, or this is who I am and I'm compelled to do it. And that's what the platinum rule brings up. So in the book, I really kind of lay out like, all right, we want to serve and serve faithfully keeping this rule in mind. Now, I'm not explicit talking about the rules and going down that, but if I were to wrap my arms around the second part of that book, talking about people and serving them faithfully, really, I am talking about the rule change, no doubt about it. All right. So servant leadership, that is the crux of the people principles way of leading others. But you said it comes at a cost. What did you mean by that? When you're committed to get to know, there's sacrifices there. Okay. I know many leaders, we didn't sign up for this. We didn't sign up to be, what, Rob, you're calling me. I got to be a, hold on. I'm calling to move the bottom line here to create momentum within my organization, make some tough leadership decisions, strategies, and techniques to move my people. I didn't sign up for being a therapist, a counselor, getting down and dirty and messy with my people. I didn't sign up for that. Maybe you didn't sign up for it, but do you want to be effective? Do you want to be more effective? Because our people are waiting. And so when we're willing to take sacrifices, because let's be real, when we're committed to an ongoing one-to-one, these one-to-one meetings, I want to get practical with you, with each team member, and it's etched in the schedule, and we're not going to go down the road so fast in those one-to-one meetings talking about professional stuff. We'll get there. But more importantly, we're there to talk about personal stuff that relates to professional, relates to the organization culture. It's going to require time, perhaps more of it for you. You may hear things that you don't have answers for. And it's going to really cause us as leaders to have a really good listening ear. Hold on a second. I don't know if I have the time. I don't know if I have the expertise. And I certainly don't know. I have a lot of answers. I don't know if I have the listening ears to listen to a lot of this stuff because I'm a problem solver. I just want to tell them how, what to do and then boom. But I'm going to step out on a limb here to say, if you dare step out encourage and begin to have this one-to-one time with each team member and your team collectively in this kind of a way, the heartbeat for your organization will be evident, not only to you, to each team member and your culture. Your culture statement will never become more alive because it won't be just something you hang on a wall. It'll be who you are. And the most productivity and accomplishments come out of that inner place and only work themselves out. The servant leadership approach and I've done this for a while, so I know what it does to people, but explain it in your own words what the servant leadership way does to it. And maybe you can even bring in some of the brain stuff that goes on internally that leaders need to understand sort of the human motivation behind servant leadership. Servant leadership for me is all about 
coming alongside, if not getting under a team member. Okay. And I'm a physical person. So I'll use this for those watching. I know we have a lot of listeners, of course, with the podcast, but it's getting under, come alongside in a nurturing, guiding way, if not on occasion, getting under your team member and team members only to lift them up to become elevated above you. As a leader, this is where ego comes in. Boy, we're coming full circle, Marcel, because ego says, I'm the leader. You know, if we don't say this overtly or outwardly, we might say it certainly inwardly that I want the limelight. I want the positive things when they come. I want to get my name in the newspaper, so to speak. But see, in my estimation, the greatest, the most effective leaders are ones that get out of the way, that they're not as recognized. They're not as in the paper, but they're looking to serve faithfully through guidance, through encouragement, through some correction, through some love. They're serving that individual. They come alongside and getting under to the point that that person, that team member reaches heights and depths they never even knew were possible because you're lifting them up into that new place. So it can be messy. It can be inconvenient, but the fruit that can come from it is not just long-term sustainability, but it's vibrancy and long-term sustainability, not just in what they can accomplish, but in who they are. Mm. And that's really what we want to do. We want to set our team members up for success personally, even more so than professionally. Yeah. I can't think of another word that so closely aligns with servant leadership and it's compassion. I don't remember who said it. Lots of people have said it. I've said it. You said it is removing the roadblocks and to set people up for success. It's kind of like removing that the boulder from you know, people's backs and shoulders that weighs them down. And then when you do that, I mean, if you don't have a boulder on your shoulder, you can move a lot quicker. Isn't that true? And that gets by one of the primary reasons why I wrote the book was the temptation for so many leaders, so many organizations is build it, build it, build it. Goals, 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 accomplishment, accomplishment. But to what degree are we willing to do all that and step on people in the process? See, we got to be willing to say people are our prized possession. People in the core of who they are are the apple of God's eye. And if we as leaders start actually looking at them, not as just a mere commodity that we're going to manipulate to get the company to where we want to go, but actually be willing to take a look under the hood of their car, so to speak, and see really what makes them come alive. And I'll put this in, in these words. What would it look like, Marcel? Now, I know I'm talking to a lot of leaders here that are visionaries and have a compelling vision. What would it look like if your vision is wrapped up in helping your team members fulfill theirs? Think about that. What would it look like if your vision is wrapped up in helping your team members fulfill theirs? Could it be that there's even a larger vision that's even more powerful, more intimate, and longer lasting than we could ever dream up in the first place? Mm. And I say, yes. That's great. Okay, so we've covered two of the three parts. We kind of touched on the third part. So we covered the purpose principles, the people principles, but I want to drill down on the process principles and have you unpack that a little more. But the question I, I always find interesting for me is we spend so much time on systems and process and procedures and policies, almost all P words there. <laughs> What's going on there? Why is it that we choose to do that over people? Because we want quick fixes. We want to reach the goals yesterday. We have board members that are heavy on us, investment money infused into the company that's attached to timelines. 
and rewards and incentives for the leaders, for the core team members, for the executive team, for the C-suite, et cetera. So I understand what we're up against. There's no doubt about it. But I'm here to say, and you probably heard this phrase probably number of times by now, but I do believe slow is the new fast. That anything great and long-lasting, we really got to slow way down in order to learn what speeding up is all about. For me, I really believe this. We've got to be willing to say no to the speed. And this takes discipline. This takes intentionality. Say no to the speed and say yes to people. No to the speed of goals and accomplishments and say yes to people. Doesn't mean we can't have goals and accomplishments. We can't have timelines. There's a place for them. But we have to be really careful in that process. And I'll tell you this, this feeds right into the process aspect in the book. Our calendar reflects what matters most to us. Where we're spending our time is where our heart and our treasure is. Think about that. I believe in people, Rob. I believe in my team members. Does your calendar reflect that? And if your calendar reflects that, does the kind of time you're spending with each team member reflect that? Is it too heavy on the professional and not as much on the personal? So I think process is all about taking a really close look at, practically speaking, where we're spending our time. We want to be as efficient as leaders as we possibly, possibly can. But are we being as effective in our efficiency? And I believe that when we learn that it's all about efficiency through effectiveness in how we understand and how we control our calendar with our team members and really what's in there and guarding and protecting time with our team members above all things, now we're really beginning to get beneath the surface of the things and the people that matter most. Really what I'm emphasizing in that Marcel's calendar. I think it's a great opportunity. We're what? A couple months into the new year at this particular time of the recording and take a fresh look at the calendar. Who are you spending time with? What team members? How often? What's the primary reason you're spending time with them? Are you weighing too heavily on the professional and not enough on the personal? And then we can really dig a little deeper, recalibrate to set ourselves on a, on a right course of putting people before things for better results. And as technology increases and as the world becomes even more remote, it's even more important to humanize the workplace through what you're saying. So the things that will stick out for me, slow as the new fast, say no to goals and accomplishments, not at the expense of that, but don't make that your sole priority. Focus on the people, give them what they need, do the servant leadership model. The goals and accomplishments will take care of itself. They will. Because again, your team members being a prized possession, they will be doing things as it relates to goals and accomplishments, tasks at hand. They'll be doing things out of a deeper place a more significant, an inspirational place, a more creative place, and then it'll flow out of that. So they're going to be able to maximize their time. Yeah. The things that they were originally able to do in an eight-hour workday, they're going to be able to do in three hours. See, that's what efficiency through effectiveness is all about. It starts at the heart, and then it can't help but work itself out in time. I love it. Okay, out of all the parts that we covered, the three Ps, so paint a picture through a story about any of those three? So about a year and a half ago, my only living grandparent was just a, a couple of weeks before her 102nd birthday. 102nd birthday. Obviously, it's during COVID times and she wasn't doing well. So I went in to see her. I really wanted to see my grandmother, not knowing if this would be the last time, probably thinking it was the last time I would ever see her on this planet again. Put on the gown, she lived in a kind of a retirement community. She had a lot of care at this particular time. Put the mask on, the gown, everything. And 
I have some time with my grandmother. No one else was in the room. And I had about 45 total minutes with her, Marcel, but about 20 minutes was time where we were locked in, where she wasn't falling asleep. She knew I was in the room. I removed you know, my mask so she could tell it was me for some of that time. There was one particular time in that 20 minutes to where I looked into her eyes and she looked into my eyes. And I said to my nearly 102nd-year-old grandmother, you are so beautiful. And it was one of these moments that lasted, I don't know, maybe five seconds. It seemed like five hours. And in that moment, there was such an exchange. And I saw in and through my grandmother, her turn from almost 102 to five years old really quick. Those words, you are beautiful. It's like this little girl. It's like she was shining in the depth of who she was. And it was emanating out of her eyes. Now, what you might need to know is that my grandmother struggled with dementia down the home stretch. I didn't know after that five seconds of locked in presence together that she would ever remember those words again. It made those five or so seconds that much more meaningful and significant to me and to her. Shortly after the visit, she died. And I will always go back to that exchange. And we have leaders listening. We have an opportunity in this time and in this moment and in this season to be present. When we're with our team member, it's as though nothing or no one else matters in that moment but them. And in that, we have words of encouragement to share, words of inspiration to share, thought-provoking questions to better get to know them as human beings more so than working professionals. And could it be that their countenance would begin to change, similar to my grandmother's? And in and coming out of that situation, could it be that that'll move them, that'll compel them to act in a way that they never, ever would have otherwise? That particular exchange changed me forever. And I believe it also changed my grandmother forever too. And I look forward to the day I see her again and we can mm-hmm. share about that story. So beautiful. just something that kind of jumped in my mind and my heart that I wanted to share with you too, Marcel. That's beautiful. Thank you for doing that. Rob, wow. Speak to leaders and aspiring leaders everywhere about legacy. When we reach the end of the road, and I'm going to use another sports analogy here, when we're hanging up our cleats and we look back, we want to be able to leave a legacy that that's going to be lasting. And after we're gone, that other people can maybe pick up and pay it forward. The question is, how do we go about leaving a lasting legacy? What does that look like? Well, first of all, I think it's a great exercise not to leave on a, on a sad note. This is more of a celebratory thing, but I think we all need to visit or revisit writing our own eulogies at our own funerals. I think we do. Maybe many of us have done that, heard about it. That's a practical step we can take on a periodic basis. Wow, if I was no longer here, what would I really want people to say at my funeral about me? What lasting impact or effect would I really want and why? And I think so many times if we start with the end in mind a bit and then we re-engineer this thing, we could be that much more intentional on the people that we're spending time with the reason why we're spending time with them. And quite frankly, I don't think we're going to give much attention to things that really don't matter in the first place nearly as much. So I think that's a great place to start. Now, I don't mean to be heavy because I believe eulogies are one of the most life-giving things and most honorable things we could ever give to a human being. Why not give one to yourself in reflection and make it into such a celebratory time and moment only to keep some of those real meaningful things in store of when you're by yourself, when you're with your family, and when you're with your team members, to then instill and infuse some life-changing principles in them. So when you're no longer here, it truly is 
a legacy you leave behind that wow. positively will affect future generations without the shadow. As we uh, wind down here, I wish we could have a three-hour podcast. I like to ask the leadership love question, tradition on the show. And I don't think I asked you this the last time you were here, but here it is. How do leaders demonstrate practical love to their people day in, day out, you know, in a way that helps them to flourish at work and helps to make business sense? Let's bring the word love and business together. Be quick on a consistent basis of letting your team members know that you appreciate them and be as specific as you possibly can. Hey, you know, when you did this project, you know, and it ended last Friday, I'm so proud of you that you not only knocked it out and saw it through by the deadline, but you handled it with great detail and passion in a way that I've never seen anyone handle a project before. What could that do to a team? A level of specificity to your word or words of encouragement on a consistent basis will go a long way with making your team members feel valued and appreciated. Just forget your attaboys. You know, you're just your, your superficial praises. You want to attach meaning to your acknowledgement, to your praises, basically. And that's what is going to elevate their performance when they understand, ah, you know, my boss actually saw this. He understands me. Any question that, that I should have asked, because you know what? I'm not going to come out and say I'm the best interviewer in the world. So I, I want to give you a chance. I may to beg to differ on that one. <laughs> I may beg to differ on that myself. <laughs> But what would be a good question that I didn't ask that maybe I should have? Of what my wife means to me. Tell me more. So Karen and I have been married nearly 18 years. And I'm kind of laughing at this. We have a date day. I'm taking off next week. We're going to have a date day together. We're just going to have some fun. Not during the evening in like a traditional sense of going out on a date night. We're going to have a date day. And I'm just going to take off a work day to spend time with my wife. And I do that because I adore my wife. I do that because, Marcel, I still, almost 18 years of marriage, we've known each other for close to 20 years. When we go out and date days or date nights, I still go a little nervous in a fun way. Like I get to take out my bride. I get to hang with someone who I love, but who I like a whole lot too. And we end up laughing a lot and having fun. I still have those, that nervous kind of date feeling butterflies. And I want to highlight my wife because what she has taught me about servant leadership is like no other. I've read so many books. I've learned from the best of the best. And I, certainly they've had their impressions on me. And it, it certainly feeds over into those that I get a chance to serve, et cetera. But none greater than my wife. She is the rock for our family. She steadies our ship. She's consistent in how she loves, how she serves. And she's anchored in humility like I've never experienced from anyone else. Because at the end of the day, she knows where it all comes from. And I not only get to live with her day in and day out, I get to take her on a date day next week <laughs> and experience more of her. And for that, Karen Holman, I'm so grateful for you in my life. And I'm going to say the same about my wife, Noelle Schwantes, that I am so grateful for her because I'm telling you, without her, my world would crumble, Rob, literally crumble. She is a just a solid pillar in this marriage. And, and she just launched a book. So I'm now Did like, she? yeah, yeah, she just published. And that's, and, that's and, great news. Like, that <laughs> is awesome. Yeah. So now I'm all about like, okay, how can I best honor her? I mean, she has done so much for me to 
helped me to launch my practice and my thought leadership. And now it's like, I want to do the same for her. So honey, I know you're listening. Yeah. The next few months, if not the next few years are all going to be about you and how I can support you the best to be successful. I think that's the servant leadership model right there in a marriage. I think too, it's important for us to be reminded and for the audience to the stronger we are in the home with servant leadership. And the more that we live that in and out in the home, it'll be a natural flow. Servant leadership within our sphere of influence and the workplace and our culture and society, it's not going to be something that we have to consciously think about as much because it's who we are. So why not be more intentional in the home and serve and serve well? To have wives like we have that reflect and model it so well, we are two blessed men. (laughs) That's all I got to say. Amen to that. Rob, we bring it home, unfortunately, with two questions. Well, maybe it's fortunately that we can end now because it gives us a chance to think about what else we want to talk about next time you drop on the show. So we bring it home with two questions. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? What's tugging at my heart is now as COVID in a variety of different states is really opening up in a good way travel for me because you know me, I'm a content producer with my inside out leadership philosophy. I speak a lot and I'm so grateful, so thankful that the last two years has been a lot of virtual speaking and keynotes, et cetera. But I'm starting to get out there more physical and live and in-person events. So what's tugging on my heart is I'm going to be on the road a little bit more than what I'm used to in the last two years. And because I'm such a family person, and people can't tell this already, Marcel, I am a family man. I love my wife and my three kids so much. And I'm going to be on the road more in the weeks and months ahead. Not too much because I guard and protect my family, however, more than I'm used to. And for me, I get homesick, really. I mean, honestly, I get homesick because I love my family so much. So that's going to be tough for me. It's going to be a blessing. It's going to be awesome to be on the road more. At the same time, there's only so much that having FaceTime and Zoom sessions with my kids and my wife will do. Hmm. And so that's something that I'm very mindful about right now that's really tugging at my heart is really balancing and creating boundaries with that time as I begin to stretch out in that way more and more and more to garden and protect the people that matter most to me. So Yeah, it's funny that you and I have so much in common because I too am getting an increase in requests to do the face-to-face stuff now, which is great because that tells me that COVID is starting to lift for us to start to be more comfortable around being in the same room face-to-face. That's awesome. That's great. But I admit that I got into a comfort zone the last two years doing all of this remote stuff. It's like the family became so much closer. And now I have to decide, well, do I take that one-week gig six states away and be away from them for a week, you know, and, oh man, that is that right now at this stage of life, it's really tough. So I share that with you. Thank you. Oh, Rob, of all the things we talked about, wrap this up into one key takeaway that will keep our listeners inspired. What would that be? To serve others and be more present with others in your life. It starts with being more present with yourself and learning how to better serve yourself. And what I mean by that is having some timeouts for you. Not in a bad way. I know timeout for people sometimes like, hold on, hold on. I've been recollections of timeout when I was like seven years old. I'm on the steps. But no, no. These are good, healthy timeouts for yourself to where you can breathe, where you can be, 
And as you do, you learn, this is good. This is really needed. It needs to be well embraced. And that's what I mean by learning and disciplining yourself to serve yourself. Because at the end of the day, we can only give to others what we ourselves have received. So if you learn to serve yourself in that kind of a way and more, you'll be giving out of more of a full cup. And then as you turn to a team member and you spend more devoted time with them in the way that we've talked about more, that time's going to be more significant. It's going to be better utilized. Why? Because you're serving them out of a completely different place. So have at it, serve yourself, and you will faithfully serve others. Rob, I want to send 50,000 people right now to your website and your books. Where can they go? Point us to a few places. So website is robholman.com. It's Rob with two Bs. Marcel, I probably shared this with you before. The second B in my name, it's not some rebellious thing I did in my teenage years, like the heck with mom and dad. They gave me one B. I'm adding the second B to my name. But no, I am a Robert, but I do go by Rob with two Bs. So it's robholman.com. It's just a great central resource for a lot of my inside out leadership tools and resources, many of which are free to encourage you and to inspire you. And as it relates to my latest book, Move the Needle, feel free to go on Amazon, wherever books are sold online, uh, Move the Needle book. And even it has its own books website too, movetheneedlebook.com. He is the awesome Rob with two Bs, Holman. And it's always an honor to spend time with you, man. Appreciate your time. We are all better for it. Oh, you're awesome. Listen, I've told you this before privately, publicly. I'm going to announce it to the world again. Marcel. You're a gift to me and to everyone that listens and receives from you. So thank you. Appreciate you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Join the conversation and comment on this episode with hashtag love in action podcast. And as always, look for my show notes to this episode by going to my website, marcelschwantes.com. And finally, hey, we're always looking for sponsors to help spread this love in action movement globally. And if you're interested, reach out to me on my website or find me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.